Welcome to The Long Leash. I'm James Jacobson. Today, we are issuing you a backstage pass to insider knowledge about dogs in Hollywood. Dog lovers tend to really enjoy movies with dogs in them, but there's a lot that goes into making those films, because dogs can be a little challenging to work with, if you can imagine that. Perhaps that's why there is a showbiz adage that says that you should never work with dogs or children because they'll upstage you every time. Our guest today knows more about dogs in Hollywood than pretty much anyone, I'd say. Wendy Mitchell is a film critic and a journalist with an impressive list of writing credits. She's a contributing editor for film business magazine Screen International. She has been a staff writer and editor at Entertainment Weekly and IndieWire and Rolling Stone. Wendy's written for The Guardian and Variety and Time Out New York, The New York Daily News, The Wall Street Journal, Glamour, and Billboard. She knows about the film business. But for our purposes, what you need to know is that Wendy Mitchell is a dog lover. And that led her to write Citizen Canine, Dogs in the Movies. Wendy Mitchell is our guest today. Wendy Mitchell, author of Citizen Canine. I like the pun. Thanks for Thank being with you. us today. I'm so excited to be here. I know you're such a dog lover, and it's so exciting to hear about this whole podcast network for dog lovers. So thrilled to be here. We love our dogs, and and of course, we love movies that feature dogs, and we'll get into that. But uh, now, dogs have been in the movies for a long time. What's the first uh, uh, movie that you study that had a dog in it? Well, some people think there's, I think there's even a dog wandering in and out of some of the Lumiere brothers, you know, first tests. Oh, wow. Okay. But that wasn't but really a test. Those weren't actors. A... They just happened to be on the shot. <laughs> exactly. So I started my book. It covers 100 years of dogs in cinema. So it starts in 1918 mm -hmm. uh, with Charlie Chaplin's A Dog's Life. Um, and I love this little film. I think people can go watch it on YouTube, I think. Um, I found it there. And, you know, it's really Chaplin's character of the tramp, um, you know, evading the cops and falling in love. Um, but throughout it all, there's a dog with him called Scraps. And the dog is sort of, you know, a, a metaphor for him as well. This is a street dog. It's, um, you know, scampering around, evading the cops also, stealing sausages, things like that. Um, and they're just wonderful together with the physical comedy um they just make a great pair could could you tell that the dog had a trainer and 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 basically the same type of stuff that we do a hundred years later in hollywood with dogs and on the screen in this film you know i didn't really read much about the trainer mm -hmm. um that was there but what i read was that chaplin was offered um, all these like really pampered, he called them like pampered studio dogs, mm -hmm. you know, like a perfectly groomed poodle or, or whatever. And instead he wanted a dog that looked scrappy. Um, and this dog's name was Mutt with one T. <laughs> and obviously there's a lot of training going on or signals from a trainer because a remarkable physical performance. And um, yeah, Chaplin and the dog really, really bonded. And it's kind of a sad story that um, after they made the film, the dog was so fond of Charlie Chaplin that um, Chaplin had gone off on a tour to sell war bonds. Mm -hmm. And Mutt, the dog, was left behind and stopped feeding um, because he missed Chaplin he so much. Broken. And they said he died of a broken heart because he couldn't eat. So that might be Hollywood lore. Let's we could pretend that Mutt lived a long, happy life, but he lives on, you know. And that's one thing, you know. Dogs aren't with us forever, as much as we would like them to be. And um, I think that's one thing I really liked about the book is just seeing the magic of these dogs on screen. They're immortal in a film. They are, and there's so much. I mean, usually, and I think you you you've talked about this. The the there's a, a a website somewhere where we can see dogs that die in films or or, or things like that. Things to avoid if you or at least be prepared for. You know, I'm not involved with it, but I I used it for research called Does the Dog Die dot com. Okay, and I think it started you know trying to help parents decide like could their kids handle you know, what's going to happen to the dog or the cat or, or whatever in the film. And I think it's grown from there because, yeah, it's sometimes you want to, you know, maybe you've just lost your own dog. You can't really handle Marley and me right now, can you? Um, 
Or maybe you want that catharsis. I don't know. So I, I have been, uh, I was on a flight, uh, <clears throat> I guess a while ago at this point, but the last time I was on a flight, I was watching um, a dog movie and I was bawling and the flight attendant thought there was something wrong with me and I didn't know it's just, it's just the movies and you know we, we do get that catharsis that maybe it's kind of hard to be emotional on about so many other things but the films that feature dogs for dog lovers really resonate what are some yeah. of, what are some of your favorites that that if you want a tear gusher or you just really want to feel emotionally connected that you go to Oh gosh. I mean, I cried a lot researching this book and I love it because it, you do feel like you can cry over maybe a dog more than a human character. Sometimes it sounds weird, but you because they seem more real. They seem more real. real. You can project your own first pet. Um, I mean, one film that makes me sob is um, my dog skip, Hmm which is such a classic and it's such a simple story of a boy growing up with his dog. And then, you know, the little boy is grown up and gone away to college and the dog is laying on the bed waiting for him. And, you know, that one makes me cry a lot. Of course there's old yeller. Mm -hmm. I mean, a classic tearjerker for a reason. Um, Marley and me is another good I mean, you know, that's not a film that I would say is high art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Marley and Me, yeah, is, I think, such... It's so relatable because it's just about sort of an ordinary family pet. You know, it's about how Marley is part of the family and the growing family and that even a naughty dog that misbehaves is part of the family and we love them and... You know, especially with the John Grogan character, you really see him bonding with that dog. And that dog is his best friend. Yes, he loves his wife, but I think the dog is the best friend. And having to say goodbye, spoiler alert. Um, yeah, it's it's so moving. And yeah, I think partly because that's such a universal thing that every family has to go through at some point is to say goodbye. Oh gosh, I can barely talk about it. Um, And Owen Wilson, you know, is a big dog lover. Mm -hmm. And I think his dog makes a cameo in the film. Does Um, he really? Yeah. So he's a big dog lover. I think Jennifer Aniston likes dogs as well. But I mean, you can just tell Owen Wilson that's not just a calling it in, phoning it in performance. He loves that dog. Do actors sometimes relate, get into a relationship? You tell in your book about the story of Will Smith, get into a relationship with the dog actors um, that that transcends when when the show when the filming is over. They certainly do. Um, I think it's sort of the the casualty of <laughs> getting involved with your co-star. Um, you know, like yeah, Will Smith on the set of I Am Legend. You know, because. Even before they start shooting, he is um, with that dog for weeks, going on sort of dates Mm -hmm. to get to know the dog before they start shooting. And then he really bonded and he asked the trainer, can I can I have the dog after the shoot? And the trainer said, actually, sorry, it's my dog and I'm not going to give it up. (laughs) You can't have it. Um, And similar, I think Ewan McGregor, I think he might be allergic to a lot of dogs, but um, he shot Beginners with this little terrier. And he, he knew he couldn't adopt the dog, but he loved it and loved it so much that on the final day of shooting, he went to adopt a rescue dog so that he still had a dog in his life and there wouldn't be that void um, right after filming stopped. So, I mean, you can understand if you get to hang out with a great, awesome dog for weeks or you months. You just want to be with it. Yeah. And, and what about uh, the, the Jack Nicholson story? Hmm. Um, yeah, Jack was quite funny because this is for as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great little um, Brussels Griffon called um, Verdell in the film. I think the real dog's name was Jill. Um, and, you know, but the dog got confused because Jack <laughs> loved this dog when they were shooting and it would pal around. But of course, the character at first doesn't like the dog. You know, Jack's character doesn't like Verdell. And there's even like things where I have to push it away a little bit. Um, and so the, yeah, the little dog got really confused because like, oh, my friend Jack, I'm so excited to see him and play with him today. And then Jack would have to be really gruff 
with it. I mean, I think they worked it out and they're all still friends, but, um, do they ever visit afterwards? Do you know, is this like the relationships um, that continue after they, they, the filming is wrapped? I know that, you know, with Ewan McGregor, he, when he was living in LA or anytime he visits LA, he would go back and visit that dog and walk his dog with the dog that he starred with and beginner. So yes, sometimes I think they can try to keep in touch. I can't, yeah, I can't imagine being so close and then the dog is ripped away from you. Oh. <laughs> it must be tough. Well, W.C. Fields famously said never work with 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 pets or kids, right? Because they upstage you. Yes. Um, are there actors that you've encountered who had to work with a dog they really didn't want because they kind of uh, subscribed to W.C. Fields' perspective? I'm sure there are. I don't think many of them go public mm, with that, that information. That would I not mean, be good I, PR. Yeah, I mean yeah, this jerk doesn't like dogs, yeah. you know, don't go see his dog film. Um, I mean, one director um, that I found was Todd Solons, who made a film called Wiener Dog. Hmm. And he's kind of a misanthropic guy anyway, makes quite really dark comedies. Um, and yeah, he just said, oh, these dogs are so stupid. Like it took them all day to do like a three minute shot. And um, so yeah, Todd Solans really doesn't like dogs and you can kind of catch on to that, I think, or he didn't like the, the Dotsons that he was working with for Wiener Dog. Maybe he likes other dogs, but he just said these Dotsons, even though they were trained, weren't that bright. Um, but yeah, I, that's a, one of the films I would definitely, um, for real dog lovers is quite a hard watch. Um, cause the dog does not have a nice fate at the end and it's quite hard to watch you can almost see that todd salons might not be the cuddliest dog lover in the world but no actors that you know of have uh, sort of uh, uh disdained the dogs that they were they were cast with no um i'm sh- yeah like i said i'm sure there's some that out there that don't like it but i th- also think you sign up knowing that you're making a film with a dog right. um and it's not you- a surprise yeah i think yeah you know, by far most of the actors were dog lovers or, you know, somebody like Richard Gere made um, Hachiko, my dog Hachi. Um, and there were Akitas, you know, in that film who would take a while to warm up to people. Um, and he won their trust and he loved those dogs. And yeah, I think most actors really get attached to the dog they're starring with. I mean, it, it, it should be said, it takes more time to shoot a film with a dog. It just, it just does. Well, let's get into that because I think that's hmm. fascinating. The 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 process of we've talked a little bit about some of the dog acting, but actually, what happens behind the scenes so that the dogs do what they're supposed hmm. to be doing on screen? And that's one thing I learned. I mean, I knew there were dog trainers um, when I started researching the book, but I didn't realize sort of what geniuses they are. And um, one thing I think you'll appreciate, you know, from your background of loving dogs, um, is that none of them spoke i interviewed several of them and none of them spoke about the dogs as like they were just sort of like a a worker bee you know they were talking about it as if you would talk about a family pet and some of them live on the properties with their trainers you know they are kind of family dogs i mean they go to work some days um but yeah the trainers put in a lot of time to understand each dog's personality and that's what really uh sort of moved me is that you know um they're not just talking about, oh, a terrier does this. They'll, they'll say, well, Jill, this dog was like this. And so we did this with her. And, you know, how do you train each dog to be motivated for their own needs? And, you know, some, like in one of the dogs who played as sort of the middle Marley and me, um, Clyde, was just really rambunctious. And they didn't try to get a calm dog to play rambunctious. They found a rambunctious dog. And then let it practice tearing up old furniture (laughs) and then told him like, go for it. You know? So I think that's one thing I learned is that, yeah, the trainers are really see these dogs as individuals and work with that. And I was so happy to hear that. Let's walk that little cast through the casting process. So Mm -hmm. say for a film like Marley and me, where you have uh, Marley in different phases of Marley's life, Uh, you have different dogs who play it, but, how what is that casting like so you get the rambunctious one but can you paint the picture for us what a casting for a dog scene is like yeah i think 
I've not been on a dog casting personally, but for a film like that, there were 22 dogs playing Marley during the 13 year life on screen. Mm-hmm. And that's including 11 puppies. Um, I mean, some of it is you would cast the dog that looks similar. Um, and do they use makeup on those dogs? Do they ever? Yeah, like... they, they can use makeup. Um, and it, of course the makeup they use is quite safe, you know, to be um, really clear about that. And you know, they might use like a vegetable dye or something to make a dog look older or give it a marking to be, to have some continuity. Um, but yeah, you know, some of these films, yeah, do have 10 dogs playing the role, but maybe one or two key dogs are doing most of the stuff. And, you know, you might hire one dog that's really good at running and jumping. Mm. And then you might hire a, a dog that looks similar, that's good at snuggling with kids. And this might not be the same dog, but you can get what you want out of each of them. And they have, and the dogs have understudies as well. Um, yeah, they, they were sort of extras or like, I don't know. If, <laughs> if something should happen to this dog, yeah. they're, they're, there's a backup dog, right? Yeah, um, usually. But I mean, it's some dogs like are just really irreplaceable. Like in my dog Skip, you know, those two terriers were a father and a son. Um, and it's actually Enzo is the son and Moose is the father. And Moose was actually um, the dog who played um, Eddie on Frasier on TV. Ah, crossover from film to TV. I know. You, you need to do a sequel book on, on dogs on TV. That that, that <laughs> needs to be like the next group. Oh, but. my gosh. that There are so many great dogs on TV. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like that film, they didn't have like 20 terriers just waiting around in case one of them wasn't hitting the mark that day. They had the two dogs, basically. And in some cases, there will be sort of, you know, the artist, there's Uggy. I don't think there was a backup to Uggy, from what I understand. Mm -hmm. I don't think there was an understudy. There wasn't an Uggy puppy. cute thing. It was just Uggy. So if Uggy's having a bad day, it could just slow down production, which can get expensive for these Hollywood films. Yes, it can. Um, So that's why, I mean, I think you're talking about dog casting. I think they do test the dogs to make sure they can sort of deliver what they need to deliver. And I think that's what Todd Solons was annoyed about with wiener dogs. He wanted, he had to shoot them on a treadmill one day. Right. He said he had to shoot for like eight hours to get like five minutes of usable footage. And if you're on a, I mean, that's not a huge Hollywood film, but it's, you know, a film of some scale and, yeah, it's costing people money if the dog is misbehaving or time is money not in the hitting its mark. Um, yeah, but they, you know, at the end of the day, they also are animals, and you, you, not hundred percent reliable. That's why we love them. So you might get some magic that you didn't expect, maybe. What are the, some of the tricks that they use to get a dog to do the things that they want it to do that we don't see, but that are happening behind? the focus of the of the lens yeah as you can imagine a lot of it is um treat based um there you know there's a lot of do this and hit this mark and you'll get a little piece of meat or Mm -hmm. a treat or whatever they like to eat um but within reason so that they're not getting like 200 treats a day and feeling sick you know (laughs) um and a lot of it is toys like in Cujo they you know, you have this huge St. Bernard and it looks like it's rabid and clawing and to get into this car. And it was really because they had hidden its favorite toy in the car. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, so Cujo wasn't going, wasn't attacking. He was uh, no, going no, for gentle, his... gentle giant, those dogs. Um, Cujo had blood. One... Cujo had blood too, right? Which I'm sure was. Yeah. And that was just to... food dye. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of tricks that they, they do. And then some of it's just hand commands with the trainer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes I think they can get a more, like, I keep bringing up beginners because it's one of my favorites. But Ewan McGregor, after a while, he would, some of those scenes are supposed to be quite natural, just a man and his dog. And so there were times they could have the trainer leave the room because Ewan and the dog had such a nice bond. Mm-hmm. They could just be man and dog on screen and they didn't need a trainer saying jump here go there it was just very natural and that would probably that intimacy that was created on the set would probably translate to what was being captured in the camera oh for sure i think you can really see that there's a bond mm-hmm. there um and i know i do of course i think dogs have emotions mm-hmm. um and i do think sometimes you, you're really capturing those on screen 
yeah, sometimes they're just looking at a piece of meat, probably. But I think in some cases we really see dog's emotion. Uh, one other, speaking of meat, um, I think on the set of Marmaduke, to get the dogs to look at the humans in the right eye line, they would give the actors sunglasses with a little piece of meat sort of wrapped right in the middle. And then the, the, dog, the dog is looking at that. <laughs> the dog is like, I want that. I want that piece exactly. of meat on your Ray-Bans. In the eyes, I think. That's a that's a good checking. Do the same. That was a really good trick. Now, obviously, so some of these doctors, we, we we talked about dogs that have made the transition from film to TV, but do the it, are the trainers like highly esteemed in Hollywood? Is like, oh, you need that guy, or do the trainers basically work with the dog that's cast? No, I think it's you need the trainer, and ideally, you would hire the trainer first. Yeah. And see what dogs they might already have or dogs they might have connection to or, or get the trainer to scout your dog. Um, I mean, it's really interesting. I spoke to a trainer named Teresa Ann Miller, who's really just top notch. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is the daughter of um, Carl Lewis Miller, who was a big animal trainer back in the 60s and 70s. So sort of family business. Mm-hmm. And like, so her dad did Cujo. Mm-hmm. And so she remembered the St. Bernard's like playing in her family pool that summer that her dad was making Cujo. I imagine it's um, a lot more lucrative for to be a, a Hollywood dog trainer than just, you know, a dog trainer in Philadelphia. I hope so. You know, I mean, cause, well, like, you know, some of these films like T- Teresa Ann Miller worked on um, this Hungarian film, white God, and they had 250 dogs on that set. Wow. So if you've ever tried to walk more than one dog at a time, you know, for me, I can't even manage two. To get 250 dogs, and she had other trainers on the set, obviously, think, helping yeah. her. That's not one person can't do that. But they <laughs> Very really well-behaved are dogs. dedicated to to making it work, to understanding what the filmmaker needs, to really looking after the dog's interests. Like these people, yeah, I have such respect after talking to some of them and learning more about how they do it. What about the intersection between uh, a well-trained dog and then Hollywood magic in terms of CGI? Yeah, that's, you know, I think we see, like I mentioned Marmaduke, you know, a lot of people think that film is totally CGI Mm because you see the dogs surfing and you, the dogs talking. And, um, but the thing is, I think something like 80% of that was shot with real dogs and then they might go in and tweak a little bit and it can look very, fake when they tweak Mm -hmm. but it sort of helps me to know there was a real dog at the beginning because i don't know if you saw call of the wild this year Mm -mm. um you know that to me sad to say you know that was a completely cgi dog Mm -hmm. and just watching it 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 looked like a creature and like a an animal in a way but it didn't have the soul of a dog it just didn't because um, the cameras, can, you can really feel the essence of a dog. Ver- I mean, even though CGI is getting better and better all the time, and yeah. I guess actors won't even be needed someday. Um, but they've tried to do it with with some of these dogs, and I, yeah, they they kind of fall, feel flat. Yeah, I mean, because obviously I wrote the book as a tribute to real dogs, mm-hmm. real acting canines, and that's what I wanted to honor. Um, and then. I mean, there's things that I liked about Call of the Wild, the movie. You know, Harrison Ford is good and the, the scenery is amazing. But I just never bought into Buck as being a real dog. Um, and I, that never left me when I was watching the whole thing. And I think, eh, even something like Marmaduke, you kind of get the feeling that they, there are some real dogs on the set. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they make them talk later and real dogs don't totally surf. I think they did get a dog partially surfing really to be fair yeah i think there was some kind of because here in hawaii here in hawaii i see a lot of dogs out on stand-up paddle boards but they're not usually surfing but they are able to stand up usually there's someone with them um but that you can train a dog to do all sorts of things i guess if there are enough treats involved yeah and that i should mention that film had 80 real dogs in it because it's all these other dogs in the cast. It's not just Marmaduke as one character. So with a film um, with 80 dogs, how many trainers? Oh, gosh. Um, it would really vary. I don't know particularly with that film. But, I mean, I think usually if you've got... 
depends on how if the dogs are sort of background players or if they are doing a lot of stuff um maybe four to six um dogs per trainer on sort of a crowd scene um because other than that you got to keep the dogs paying attention to one person and i don't think 80 dogs can look at you know two people and be under control so obviously we've been talking mainly about lighthearted films we talked about uh, mm. sounder but i mean um i guess let's talk a little bit about a, a film that i had never heard of until your book um white dog by uh, sam fuller sam fuller i mean just very appropriate you know, these days i i mean you know perfect watch it is this sort of allegory about racism and it is so powerful um and it's just a classic of american cinema of that era i think and i feel like what's, i'd what's heard the, the film, film yeah what's the film about yeah so it's about um an actress in la who finds a stray dog and it's really a loving big great white shepherd um and it's lovely to her, but she notices that the dog is very aggressive towards black people. And they come to realize that this ha dog had been owned by a sort of white supremacist and trained to attack any black person it saw. So it's kind of meta because then it goes into, they try to hire a Hollywood dog trainer to then sort of reprogram the dog or deprogram the dog so that it's not racist anymore. Um, but yeah, just such a powerful film. And I had heard of it, but never seen it before I started the research and I'm just sort of blown away by it. And yeah, obviously I talked to my publisher because, you know, it's a lot of the pictures of that film show this white dog covered in blood, mm -hmm. you know, and we were like, eh, you know, this isn't a book for kids, but it's, you know, a book for dog lovers. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you don't want to jolt somebody into like, oh my God, that dog is covered in blood. Even with Cujo, we try to not have the grossest pictures of Cujo. So, but I thought it was important because that's an amazing performance by that dog. I got to check it out. What year did that film come out? So White Dog is 1982. Okay. I think it still has some of that 70s cinema uh, <laughs> vibes in it um, that are great. One fun, funny, you know, it's a very serious film, but one funny thing um, I learned is that, you know, they were getting the film set up and Sam Fuller said, okay, start training the dog. We'll come back and shoot in three months. And he went on holiday to Europe or something. And he came back and he just thought it would be like a normal shepherd. Yeah. German Shepherd. Um, and But some idiot at the studio had said, oh, well, the title is White God. So we have to train a, a, a white shepherd. You know, it has to be a white dog. Um, and he came back and was like, okay, you know, fair enough. This dog is already trained. Um, but in fact, it works really well because, you know, lighting dogs with really dark fur on mm. screen can be an issue. Mm. So having this white dog actually looks amazing on screen. So it worked out in the end. That's fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what I guess they call health and safety in Hollywood, yeah. where they are, you know, uh, how do they make sure that dogs are well taken care of while on set? So, yeah, health and safety is important um, because, you know, can you, you don't want your cast and crew to get hurt on a set and you certainly don't want an animal to get hurt on set. Mm -hmm. Um, and the American Humane Society is um, famous for documenting and sort of giving productions their seal of approval that no animals were hurt in the making of this film. And I found that they have a great resource on their website where you can look up a film and you're saying, God, but Benji jumps off a roof. How, how do they do that? How is that dog okay? And they sort of, there's some instances where they say, okay, well, Benji was three inches off the ground and a foam mattress and it looks like this, but it was just this. So a few years ago, there was um, a video that was leaked by PETA. Um, and, you know, I have to say, I think PETA doesn't like working dogs. So they don't agree that a dog would ever go on a film set and do a working dog. They would rather it's all CGI and dogs are not put to work. Um, but they um, found and released a video of um, what looked like an animal, a dog being mistreated on the set of a dog's purpose. Um, and I was able to talk to one of the trainers that had worked on that film and he assured me that, you know, it was totally safe and that the dogs 
we're not harmed. In fact, the dogs sort of find it like a game to jump into this water or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I wrote it to really make sure. And there was an independent investigation um, of that particular film after this accusation was made. And they got the all clear that the animals were not mistreated um, because of course, if the animals had been, there's no way I could in good conscience put it in the book. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's tricky if you're not there to know what's happening, but you know, my God, the people I talk to love these dogs so much that they wouldn't, you know, put them in harm's way. What's the genesis of that, of that, of that little notice at the end of the movie that no, from the Humane Society, no animals have been harmed in the making of this film. How did that start? I'm not sure, but I think, you know, I can imagine that just at the start of the animal rights movement, Mm -hmm. probably that people, or also, you know, savvy filmmakers want people to know, okay, well, (laughs) the dog jumps off a cliff, you know, Ren 10, actually Ren 10 10 could run up a tree and jump down and be fine. Um, But I think that was before CGI. Yeah, exactly. When he had to do that. I just want audiences to know that they don't need to be concerned that what they see on screen is fiction and if it looks like a dog is injured or um because yeah that would be bad for business so that mm. i imagine that's where it started it's just you know early complaints or oh my gosh does that i love dogs and i don't want to see a dog get hurt in the movies and i'm not going to pay my money to buy a ticket to a film if the dog's getting hurt so reassure me that everybody's safe <laughs> this is a good place to take a break but when we return Let's reveal the real poop on Lassie and have you share some more stories about dogs in the movies. We'll be right back after we pay some bills. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. The green, grassy, beef liver spiked smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy, especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. Everpup traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. Does it roll back time? Of course not. Not really. But it helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day. Because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I'm so grateful to be your dog. And for the Everpup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. We're back with Wendy Mitchell. Now, I understand that you got started on this book when you met an actual descendant of Lassie in the fur. My normal career is writing more serious stuff about the film industry and how films get financed and made. And Mm -hmm. um, I was attending basically a convention in in L.A. um, and somebody brought along a dog, this amazing collie called Hey Hey. And it was just such a beautiful dog. This must have been, you know, 15 years ago or something. And 18 years ago, even. And just seeing this dog and finding out this was a a direct descendant of Pal, who played Lassie the first time. And just seeing this beautiful dog and it put its little paw on my knee and it was so well behaved. And, you know, it was an acting dog. And it just made me wonder, yeah, what the lineage, this is like, the red graves or something, you know, um, just knowing that there's dog history, there's this history of these trainers, um, and just seeing this beautiful, beautiful dog. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is a star. You know, I met one of the lassies. (laughs) Speaking of one of the lassies, you, you, one of the biggest shocks to me was of course, lassie's a girl, but no, I'm wrong. Hey girl. Yeah. 
Lassie should have been called Laddie. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Pal was um, the first Lassie. Actually, the first Lassie, they cast a different dog oh. to star in Lassie Come Home in 1943. And the dog wasn't doing great. Um, it was, I don't know, just not hitting its marks, wasn't really doing everything the, the filmmakers wanted them to do. Um, but they had this stunt dog called Pal on the set. And they tested Pal in that famous river scene um, in Lassie Come Home. And Pal did it. And also, you know, they were shooting, I think, in the summer. And I think the male collies, the fur just looks nicer and thicker and more lustrous, uh-huh. um, especially during the warmer months. Um, and so, yeah. Lassie was not a Lassie, but did you know? Can't tell. But you can't tell because of all There's that hair, or that, all <laughs> that, all that fur. That's that's great. Uh, so another old movie that had a dog in it, The Wizard of Oz. Toto oh. was almost cast as a person in a dog costume. Can you even imagine how horrible that would be, Toto? You know, I guess we do have the Cowardly Lion, so we can see where they might have gone. But, you know, it just, to me, it just, I can't even, you know, no. It has to be this little Cairn Terrier called Toto, uh, played by a Cairn Terrier called Terry. Um, And this little scamp of a dog, you know, befriended Judy Garland. In fact, he hurt his little paw one day on the set, speaking of health and safety. And... He was fine, but he had to recuperate for a week or two. So Judy Garland took him home, took Terry home to recuperate at her house. So I doubt she would have done that for like the lighting guy. Like <laughs> anyone, anyone who gets injured, you're coming over to my house. I'll, I'll exactly. rest and recuperate. So Toto is just, and it, it was funny rewatching Wizard of Oz, which I've seen it, you know, a zillion times and love. It was funny rewatching it, really concentrating on Toto. Yeah. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> Is in the film a lot, but it's also just so pivotal. Like they wouldn't have gotten to Oz without Toto. There wouldn't be the over the rainbow serenade. She couldn't get home without Toto. So Toto's just really integral to this story, maybe even more than we think about for the plot. Tell me about that process. I, I obviously you're a film writer. You have spent so many years looking at and studying and the business and films, but to rewatch a film, a classic like. The Wizard of Oz, but to see it only through the lens of the dog, what was that like? Not just it was fun. Yeah. I have to say, it was gosh, can't you imagine? You know, I don't have to be a totally serious film critic or wondering about an Oscar bid for this or that film. Um, it was great fun just watching all these films to see what the dogs do, to see how the humans interact with them, and you know, sometimes if available, to listen to like a director's commentary about how. They worked with a dog. Um, it was really, as a dog lover, it was just the best um, to just be able to sort of concentrate on dogs. Um, sorry, human actors. Um, <laughs> I like that. But that was what, you know, that's what the book did, is about. Did so. you get any ahas, like when you rewatched a film that you'd seen a number of times and then you started just doing it through the through the eye, you know, through, through the lens of a, of looking at the dog? Did you get any big ahas? Um, yeah, I mean, I think like something like Legally Blonde, one and two. Okay. You know, obviously there's Little Bruiser, Bruiser. Um, in this something, and you think it's Reese Witherspoon, but just looking at the the dog, especially in the sequel, gets a big part, and I'd sort of you know forgotten that. Um, the dog had special. You you talk about the dog had had costumes refitted for it, like. Oh, yeah. In case it ate too much one day, they could sort of Velcro on and off. And yeah, the fashion for that dog was really crucial. I mean, also just rewatching something like Babe, which is such a great movie for any animal lover. Oh, my gosh. Um, And yeah, of course, I had remembered Fly the dog, but you think about it more about the pig and rewatching it just to see all these animals and that they look like they're having fun together and in fact i've been told that they were because they let them sort of become friends before the shoot again Mm -hmm. they let the dogs and the pigs play together and so they were buddies and they could sort of capture that on film um i mean there's yeah i just 
it was great fun just yeah rewatching some classics and caring mostly about the dog is there one if you had if there were an academy award for for dogs is there is there definitely an actor dog that you what do they call these is is there a term for actor dog i i call them canine actors but canine. i don't think there's really there's not necessarily an industry term. Well, you wrote the book. I think you should, you should, you should <laughs> stick with that. So is there a canine actor that, that really stands out that you would give the golden um, bone to? That's a good one. Um, you know, it's going to sound really obvious, but Uggy from The Artist, hmm. I just think, you know, that film, like I said, I think that there's no stunt double. There's not 10 dogs playing the one role. It's Uggy playing Uggy. And um, I, I love a terrier anyway. I think they're really charismatic in person and on screen. And it was interesting, you know, that film, um, you know, the, the director knew that it was going to be a dog, obviously, right. and, and they cast the dog. But I think Uggy's role was originally a little bit smaller. I mean, he oh, might just... have done a few tricks. But because the director, Michelle Hazanavicious, could see Uggy the real dog and everything he could do, he wrote more dog into the film in the research for this book what obviously you i mean you're always talking to directors and things like that i imagine mm -hmm. some of those are hard to get a hold of was it easier when you said hey i want to talk to you not about what you normally talk about but about the dog that you cast in this movie 10 years ago that yeah that happened a little bit um and one i have to mention and there's a great american independent filmmaker named kelly reichart who just such a sort of auteur one of the best directors working today on a sort of independent scale. And she makes very, um, just amazing work. And I'm a big fan of her work. And I've interviewed her more seriously, but um, I was able to call her and say, oh, I wanted to ask you, um, there's a film called Wendy and Lucy, which stars Michelle Williams um, as this woman sort of living on the fringe of society with her dog named Lucy. And I found out that that was Kelly, the director's real dog mm. called Lucy. So it wasn't a trained dog. It was Kelly's dog who has sadly now passed on. But for Kelly to be able to remember working with Lucy, I think she was, you know, she's delighted to be able to talk about her dog and how much she loved her dog and how they shot the film with the dog. And I, that was really nice to be able to do that. They, they light up because you can, yeah, I don't want to talk. Oh, oh, I'll talk about dogs. That I will exactly. talk about. Exactly. Yeah. Like, don't talk about what camera lens you used or the budget. <laughs> How we financed it. Or, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It was, there's joy in talking about dogs. Well, We're, casting your own dog is, is definitely, uh, they're, they're, that raised some eyebrows, I'm sure. Well, it's also a big risk, I think. Because yeah. if that dog, I think the dog had been in one of her earlier films called Old Joy, in a smaller part so the dog had been on screen before but yeah i mean it's right there in the title wendy and lucy this dog is half the film if if they'd had a real problem shooting with the dog then yeah the film might have fallen apart who knows let's get meta for one moment um uh the movie best in show oh. a movie about a dog show yeah Love mockumentary it. yeah a mockumentary one of those great christopher guest mockumentaries I love this film. That was such a joy to rewatch. I just think it's so funny. And, you know, especially dog people, dog obsessives, um, I think will recognize themselves in there. I mean, it's it's poking fun at people who are too obsessed with their dogs. Mm -hmm. But I think in mostly a kind way. You know, there's a gentle spirit behind it. It's not saying these people are all losers. It's like, aren't we all a little bit like this? And can't we see ourselves over grooming the dog if it was going to be at Crufts or, or, you know, one of the big dog shows or something. Um, but some great dogs and, you know, just really funny, quirky humans who are around them. The dogs come out looking quite sane compared to the humans. And there's a great song called God Loves a Terrier, which I am want to walk around the house humming. So that's another reason to watch Best in Show. And you're a terrier fan. I love a terrier. Um, I, I this might be the point to confess I don't own a dog right now. Blasphemy. I know. I know. Um, because normally um, I'm traveling to different film festivals, maybe one or two every month, and I'm on the road a lot. And I just don't think it's fair to have a dog and not be 
you know, around it. That's not nice. Um, but, you know, who knows if I'm traveling less, I am starting to work on the husband a little bit more now. Um, but yeah, I had a Dotsund growing up and I'm a big, big terrier fan and I do dog sitting for my friends to try to scratch that itch, pun intended. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I love them. And I think that's one reason I'm so obsessed with them in the movies because I don't have one at home right now. And then I guess, again, to get a little super meta. So you're a Yank living in England. You're yes. Originally from North Carolina. Yes, exactly. And accent, yeah. how would you characterize the difference between the U.S. and the U.K. when it comes to dog lovers? Oh, goodness. I kind of think a dog lover is a dog lover. Um, I think, you know, I think maybe back in the day, the Brits would have been a little more stiff upper lip, you know, oh, the dog gets the scraps and don't pamper the dog. And I think Americans have not really been afraid to buy the dog a cute sweater or a gourmet meal, et cetera. And I, def I definitely see that more and more happening with, with the British dogs that they're getting pampered, they're getting special treats, they're getting, yeah, they're just getting spoiled, which is what we want to do with our dogs. Um, yeah, I, they, they're not, you know, sleeping outside and on the farm and I'm sure there's some farm dogs, but yeah, people here in the UK, I think obviously love their dogs just as much and have realized it's okay to pamper them, to make them Instagram stars, to, to be silly about our pets a little bit more. I love it. I, I will know if I, here's, here's a distinction that I know. If you go mm. into a bookstore in London and go to the dog section, there are so many British books about dogs. And then you would mm -hmm. do that, say, in New York or, you know, obviously, you know, you, you can't yeah. go to an equivalency, but in New York and not nearly as, it just seems to me, and this, I have no idea, I would, again, mm. a, a investigative journalism here, yeah. but it just seems that there are so many more British books published in Great Britain about dogs than there are in the United States and that they have them in the bookstores. Cause I, I, I remember, uh, I guess last spring being in London and spending, I walked into a bookstore and went to the dog section and ended up spending three hours seeing <laughs> all these books that I had never, ever heard of that were freshly, that are like, you know, a year or two old. Yeah. One, yeah, I hope that's true. I'm going to go once I'm allowed back in a bookstore. Um, <laughs> but also I do think um, British bookstores are really good too. I mean, of course there's some great bookstores in America, but I just think, oh, I don't, I shouldn't be. Yeah. I won't trash all bookstores but i think you know some of them can feel quite generic and you know especially in london mm -hmm. it's such a book lovers city and you know they have some huge bookstores like foils or daunt or waterstones mm -hmm. they yeah, just have floors and floors and floors of books and don't we love that i would encourage yeah. anyone if you're when when you travel and you can go to london reserve some time to go to a big london bookstore and and just hang out in the dog section because yeah, I'm going to do that. It's it's like shocking. It's like like the philosophy section almost. I mean, it's really <laughs> that large uh, because Brits love their dogs, I think, as we all do. Uh, but they write about them more. Was was your was it hard to get a publisher? Did you start with a publisher or did you start with the manuscript idea? Um, no, I started with the idea, and I yeah, I did take it out to maybe thirteen or fourteen publishers who said no. Mm. And it's, you know, oh, it's too niche. And I thought, dog lovers, film lovers, this is not niche, you know. Um, and I couldn't believe it hadn't been done before, really, you know. So, yeah, I finally found the right people at Lawrence King Publishing who do some really great, I knew they were dog fans there. They do, like, art books about dogs and fun stuff with dogs. And they also do films, more film books. Um, and I just thought, they got it immediately. They were just like, yes. And we were really on the same page that, you know, this could sound like a really silly book, but it's not. Like, it's a fun topic, but I wanted to take it somewhat seriously. I mean, this is not going to win a Pulitzer. It's not academic. But I wanted to have some real information in there, you know, but also to have it be fun to look through and look at dog pictures. So we were really on the same page, another pun, 
Um, they came up with the title of Citizen Canine, so they were really on board. Um, and, you know, they work with Chronicle in the U.S. as well. So it was, yeah, they've just been a delight to work with because I knew they got it and appreciated dogs and movies. So, well, it was perfect. It's an amazing book, Citizen Kane, Dogs in the Movies. Wendy Mitchell, thank you so much for being with us. If you would like to learn more about dogs in the movies, be sure to check out Wendy's book, Citizen Canine. On her website, Wendy also maintains an ever-growing list of movies that feature canine actors. It's well over hundreds of films and starts with a movie from 1905 called Rescued by Rover. We have a link to that list in the show notes. It's worth checking out if you're looking like, what am I going to watch tonight that has a dog in it? I want to thank you for listening today. Please subscribe to The Long Leash in your favorite podcast app, whether that's Apple or Google Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We're also on YouTube, and you can learn more about The Long Leash on our website at longleashshow.com. That's longleashshow.com. Be sure to check out our other podcasts at Dog Podcast Network at our website, which is dogpodcastnetwork.com. We are a fledgling network of podcasts for dog lovers, made by dog lovers. And if you know someone who would like this kind of show, do us all a favor and please tell them about it. That's the way that we grow and can reach a larger audience of dog lovers. I'm James Jacobson from all of us at DPN. Thanks for listening. I hope you join us again soon. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.